Good morning and welcome to Emily in the Morning. This is the podcast on which I share my morning cup of coffee with a poem by Emily Dickinson, and I share that poem with you. Today we have the poem that begins, Distrustful of the Gentian. Distrustful of the gentian and just to turn away, the fluttering of her fringes chid my perfidy. Weary for my, I will sing and go. I shall not feel the sleet then, I shall not fear the snow. Flees so the phantom meadow before the breathless bee, so bubble brooks in deserts on ears that dying lie. Burn so the evening spires to eyes that close and go, hangs so the distant heaven to a hand below. So that's the whole poem. It's split into two stanzas. And notably in the first stanza, in the fifth line, there's a blank. And if you see the poem written down, there's just an extra long dash, which is what Emily Dickinson left on the page when she finished this poem. Um, And some people speculate, did she intend to go back and fill in a word? Did she leave it out on purpose? Um, Of course, we'll never really know. But I'm not going to suggest a word that would go there. We're just going to read it with the mystery intact. So let's take the poem from the beginning. Distrustful of the gentian, the gentian being a type of flower. Um, And in in this entire poem, Dickinson is describing the things that are leaving with the summertime. And we've seen her use the the gentian flower before. Um, It was something that was part of her experience of summer. So distrustful of the gentian and just to turn away. Now this is interesting because those two lines seem as though they would go together, but then there's a dash at the end of the first line after gentian, um, and then there's only a comma after the end of the second line. So it allows us a couple different readings where we can either say that um, the poet is distrustful or it was distrustful of the gentian, as so the gentian is the one who's being distrustful, but however you want to read that. Um, it seems after the dash that the poet is turning away from the flower and just and then the, the fluttering of her fringes line again you can read it as kind of reading back to distrustful and you read it out loud it almost sounds like that's what's happening but if you look at the punctuation it leads us to have a break after that second line turning away so then we have the fluttering of her fringes her referring back to the gentian chid my perfidy so the way I'm going to read these first four lines, the imagery we get is that the poet distrusts this flower, turns away justly, she justifies herself, just throwing the word in there, and the gentian flower flutters her fringes to scold the narrator, right? So the fringes could be like little petals, the leaves, um, potentially even the just the plant itself. So then we get the line that's missing a word, weary for my blank something, something should go in there. And you can read, if you would like, you can read this as the poet just breaking off in speech. Um, With the long dash, it does seem to be used as a placeholder in the original uh, draft of this poem, but you can easily just read it as a poet breaking off, weary for something, trying to grasp what that weariness is for and not quite succeeding, which seems to be exactly what Dickinson was doing here, whether she intended it to be read that way or not, that seems to be the event. And then the the end of this stanza, those final three lines there, she says, I will sing and go, I shall not feel the sleet, 
then I shall not fear the snow. So she's looking forward to winter, right? The poet is seeing the sleet and the snow coming, but is prepared to meet them with song and brave out the winter. So moving on to the second stanza, we again have some wonderful imagery here, familiar things. Um, Dickinson does love the gentian and the bee for her summer imagery. So we've got the bee coming back again. Flees so the phantom meadow before the breathless bee. Now this is an interesting image because one would almost expect the bee to be the one fleeing at the end of summer, but she seems to be saying no, it's the phantom meadow that's fleeing. It's the the sort of the spirit of summer which dwelt in the meadow is fleeing before the breathless bee. Now the what the breathless bee means, it could be the bees are dying because it's the end of summer and they are not breathing anymore, or the bees could be tired or worn out, breathless in the sense of panting. Loads of opportunities to read into that phrase. And then she continues this lovely alliteration of the bee sound. We've got before the breathless bee, then we've got bubbling brooks in the next line. Um, but there's a dash to kind of separate the meaning for us, I think. So I'm reading by meaning so that I'll take the next two lines as a group. So bubble brooks in deserts on ears that dying lie. So this is a really interesting image. So she's saying that we've got the image of a desert with a bubbling brook in it and someone dying, lying there on their deathbed. And she says that watching this phantom meadow flee is like that experience of hearing water, which you are unable to access, but which you desperately need. And it's a, it's a, beautiful image but a bit oddly worded and as always with Dickinson all of the pieces of the image are there and it's not a necessarily unstandard image I don't know if that's the right word I don't know if that's a word at all but it is now um, but all of her all the pieces of a very ordinary puzzle are in the wrong order and somehow that makes it better and more interesting so moving on um, to the next two lines which Again, kind of reading by the dashes, which is how I like to read Dickinson. It seems to be the way that makes the most sense to me. We've got, burn so the evening spires to eyes that closing go. Again, we have another death image here. So, um, burning in the evening, we can always, we can always, that can always evoke sunset to us. The spires, you're probably referring to church spires here. And then the eyes that closing go would be the eyes of someone who is on their death, but who is dying. And then, the next line, if we're reading by dashes, stands alone, hangs so a distant heaven. Now, because the lines have come in pairs, we kind of expect it to come in pairs. And I think that we can safely read hang so a distant heaven to a hand below together. But I think with that dash, we're intended to pause and to take this last image much slower. And it's much less explicit, explicit than the others. There aren't adjectives here. There's nothing really to help us out. We just have to think about hangs so a distant heaven, which could be the sky in the distance, or we've just had a sunset image, or it could be the more literal religious sense of heaven. But then the last line is interesting. Hang so a distant heaven to a hand below. So when we take the hand below and the hanging from the line previous, we almost get the sense that heaven is like a piece of fruit or something hanging up in the sky and you're reaching your hand towards it from below. And that is how she's feeling about the loss of summer. She, the summer was the heaven and she's reaching her hand up towards it, but she can't reach it because it's too distant. It's almost like she's trying to grab the sky. So I hope that was 
at least an interesting reading of that poem, and I will see you again tomorrow for another wonderful poem by Emily Dickinson. Thank you.